Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of SFF Yeah! is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's new subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Been dreaming of a stitch fix for books? Now it's here. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Visit mytbr.co slash treatyourshelf to sign up today. That's mytbr.co slash treatyourshelf. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 37, and we are recording on October 19th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Sharifa Williams, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're talking about novellas. Yay! Hello! How's it going? Did you did you have any trouble? We I want to let everybody know that we did, we challenged ourselves to find novellas. <laughs> That were not from tour. Well, one hard. of mine. One of mine is from tour. Yeah, mine is too. Yeah, we got one. One, one each. each. Yeah, that, that was, was our all... allowance. Man, it is tough because they're just killing it right now, and they are, they're, so... they're easy to find at the library. I get like this is like this is my apparently my soapbox about novellas. If you if I can't get it from the library the chances of me reading it are just that much slimmer. And they, these are all, like, my library has all of these. So, anyway. Mine I did, too. Yeah. Yeah. I But I did find, I did find other options. <laughs> 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 there are more novellas than just from tour. We promise. There are. There are. Um, a reminder before we get started that we are doing a special book club episode that will air on October 31st. And the book we're talking about is Rosewater by Tade Tom. Thompson. So read along and you can listen to the discussion on October 31st. Again, that is Rosewater by Tade Thompson. Oh, and we had a good piece of feedback from a listener named Miranda Grace, who heard our plea for science witches and said, I would like to nominate one of my favorite childhood reads for this, Enchantress from the Stars. It's a woman from a highly advanced society who pretends to be a witch on a less advanced planet. And I definitely need to read that now. Me too. I have it pulled up on my phone and it looks really, really good. And I can't believe I hadn't heard of it because, I mean, science witches. Same. I know. I've never heard of this book, which is, it just feels like I've heard of everything, but apparently not. I know. <laughs> We're usually so good. We know everything. <laughs> <laughs> all the things forever. <laughs> all the things about all the books. Okay, well, before we get into the news, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by First Second Books and On a Sunbeam. So, 
on a sunbeam, this is what it's about. Two timelines, second chances, one love. A ragtag crew travels to the deepest reaches of space, rebuilding beautiful broken structures to piece the past together. Two girls meet in boarding school. Ooh, I love a boarding school story. <laughs> boarding school and fall deeply in love only to learn the pain of loss. With interwoven timelines and stunning art, Award-winning graphic novelist Tilly Walden creates an inventive world, breathtaking romance, and an epic quest for love. And Brian K. Vaughn, uh, author of Saga and Paper Girls, which I definitely love, uh, said about this comic that Tilly Walden is the future of comics and on a sunbeam is her best work yet. It's a space story unlike any you've ever read with a rich lived in universe of complex characters. So if that sounds up your alley, it sounds amazing. I am going to look into this myself. Um, you should definitely check out on a sunbeam. And again, that was sponsored by first second books. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about some news. Okay, I think I want to talk about this really confusing story because I am a big Cirque du Soleil fan. Oh. And I read this article like three times and I'm still like, I have no idea what is actually happening here. So some of this stuff I'm going to have to like read from the article because I don't know how to explain it myself. I must not know the language of whatever this multimedia platform is. So (laughs) (laughs) it's called Unknown 9 and... They're saying that Unknown 9 is launching this ambitious multi-platform weirdness. <laughs> and they launched it or they, they're sneak peeking it with this this trailer. Um, and so it's they're launching a movie. And the movie is part of this big bigger franchise. So there's this bigger picture. But first of all, there's this movie that they're teasing. And... It is what they're calling a multi-platform universe focused on an occult organization. So what is an occult organization, first of all? Well, that's like the Illuminati, right? Like they're an occult organization. Yeah, That makes sense. I'm glad you're here to translate some of this. I'm like, is this like a coven of witches or something? It could also be a coven. That would also qualify as an occult organization. Yes. So um, Unknown 9 is founded by the assassin, the person behind Assassin's Creed, Alexander Mancio. And then here's where Cirque du Soleil comes in. So the Cirque du Soleil creator, Guy Laliberté, is also founding this. And that is what originally got me excited because I'm a huge fan of Cirque du Soleil. I've seen like a bunch of their shows and... I watched, and this is what uh, I, where I was like, hmm, because I watched the movie Cirque du Soleil put on uh, called Worlds Away. I don't know if anybody else remembers this. It was out in 2012 to a limited release because it was just like this sort of weirdo indie flick that was Cirque du Soleil performers and it had that vibe. And so I remember walking out of the theater after that one and being like, I don't know what just happened, but (laughs) it was pretty. And so if you see this trailer, like some of that is very reminiscent of like a Cirque du Soleil intro, like a teaser for a performance or a show by them, which does make me intrigued. And I do find that compelling. I'm just having difficulty, I guess, grasping like, what is this bigger picture? What is this franchise going to look like? And what is this multi-platform 
going to be exactly because they're saying that there are going to be multiple entry points into this universe they're building. So, yeah, yeah. I think this is interesting with like scare quotes around it because it it could work because, okay, so if you think about let's take Star Trek, for example, it started as a TV show and then it got movies and now it has comics and novels also. Video game. Yeah, it has video games. So like that is technically a multi-platform franchise, but it didn't launch that way. It started with one thing and then sort of added properties on as it grew. And you could say the same thing about Harry Potter, right? First it was books. Then it was, you know, now you've got Pottermore and you've got these, you know, mobile video games coming out and there are the movies and I'm sure there will be comics before too much longer. Um, So, you know, like multi-platform in and of itself is not that innovative. Um, The thing they're trying to do is to like launch it. Uh, well, oh, okay, but it's also unclear. Like they're they're announcing that they're gonna do all of these different things, but it the actual release of these things it's hard to say. Like we've got this teaser trailer, right? Um, yeah. And then the article also mentions there's gonna be a podcast, um, a comic series, a novel trilogy, a video game, a film, and a TV show. So you know, like that's that's very ambitious. It's a lot of things. <laughs> Um, and it presumably is a lot of money invested right up front to get all of those things off the ground, depending on how they're pacing it out. Um, so yeah, I'm, I mean, they're putting a lot of eggs in one basket really is what's happening here. Like they're like convinced that this property is going to be so hot that it can sustain all of these different versions of itself. Um, and who knows? Maybe it will be. Maybe, like, go big or go home is a thing that people do. So, and if they have deep pockets, like, I guess. I don't know. I'm also very, (laughs) I'm very curious. And I will confess that I was so annoyed by, like, the hand-waving around this that I didn't watch the trailer. I kind of, like, hype, hype is... Once hype crosses a certain point for me, I am like hype resistant, like actively hype resistant. I'm like, nope, now I'm not going to do this. Like it's been overhyped and now I don't want to know. But I confess that I also was originally interested because I I love um, Cirque du Soleil. I've seen it live, like totally amazing. But, you know, also like, yeah, it's a weird brain. So... (laughs) <laughs> Who knows what it's going to look like. It's going to be interesting. Um, so we'll see. And, yeah. And for the record, I did watch the trailer and I learned absolutely nothing. So <laughs> I don't think you missed out. Right. I still don't. I don't there you it. go. <laughs> well, we'll see about it. I like I hope that I wish them all the success. Um, it's very high risk, but they seem like they think they know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. That's as much as I can say about it. That's great. That's some nice shade right there. <laughs> it seems like you have an idea. Let's see what happens. Uh, I like to think. Uh, let's see. I want to talk a little bit about some inside baseball, which we don't yes. do super often here, but I think this is interesting, and maybe you all will too. Um 
So Liz Garinsky is an editor who you was at Tor uh, for a long time, um, and she and I like I know her from both my time in New York and for her from her work at Tor Books. She was editing a lot of authors that I really loved, and it was always great when I got an email from Liz because then it would be like, oh, there's maybe a manuscript attached to this. Like I'm so excited. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, and she recently left Tor, and it was kind of like, oh, gonna do other things, but it was unclear what. Um, and it turns out that the other thing is she's starting her own publishing company. It's named Erewhon Books after the Samuel Butler uh, novel. And it's focusing on speculative fiction, which, you know, no surprise, that's what Liz's specialty is. Um, it's going to be distributed by Workman Publishing, which is interesting because Workman is one of the next biggest publishing companies that's not like a big five company. Um, and they do distribute for a lot of sort of, you know, different imprints and other um, smaller publishing companies. So that's not the weird part. The weird part is that Workman doesn't do sci-fi. Um, they just kind of don't. Uh, Algonquin is one of their imprints. It's their fiction imprint. And it has had some speculative titles, but it's not at all their specialty. Um, and now this is where the inside baseball comes in. It doesn't kind of matter that that's not what they do because the publishing company is separate. Like Liz, this is Liz's publishing company. She's going to be the one acquiring the books presumably and like, you know, deciding what they're going to publish. Um, and all Workman has to do is make sure, you know, the books get bound and shipped to the stores. That's like what a pub, that's what a distributor does. Um, but I think it's interesting because there was a press release and it ha included a quote um, from somebody at Workman who was like, you know, it's about time we got back into this category. We can't wait, you know, to be in the sci-fi game. Um, and and so that's interesting. Um, uh, you know, I wonder if this is like, will this be the start of them trying to do more of it? Will it just be confined to this publishing imprint? And also, I'm super curious to see what Liz is going to publish. Like, I'll be paying attention to that for sure. Yeah, I think one of the well, I only recently just started getting into publishers and knowing who the publishers are and what they do and what books they you know, they publish. But I think one of the really fascinating things, especially with, of course, speculative fiction and science fiction and fantasy is figuring out like all of the different ways publishers and imprints focus on specific subgenres. And this one definitely sounds like it's going to be like, it, it's mentioned that it's going to be focused on books that might appeal to science fiction and fantasy readers and fans of mainstream fiction who enjoy work with speculative elements. So I'm wondering if like they're going to bring in a, some books that have like magical realism and some things that kind of some books that experiment with the genres. Like mm -hmm. it'll be really interesting to see what they actually focus on. I agree. And like what authors they're going to bring in. Like are they going to be new voices? Mm -hmm. Are they going to be familiar authors? Because it says here that the only workman's only science fiction and fantasy title until working with Erwin was Good Omens, which is a really that's a pretty strong. Well, they don't even own that anymore. It's a it's at Harper Collins now. It's a William oh, Morrow okay. title. I guess maybe when it was first published, which I didn't even realize it was a it was maybe a Workman title, but it's not currently. Okay, well, not that anybody else cares. Like I said, I very inside <laughs> baseball. <laughs> Here's all the stuff. 
stuff about publishers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm really interested to see where it's going to go and like what kinds of I'm always interested in new books from the speculative realm, so who am mm-hmm. I kidding? This is exciting to me as well. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Oh, Nettia Korafor. I want to yes. talk about Nettia Korafor. She's writing her first or publishing her first nonfiction book. It's called Broken Places and Outer Spaces, a plus title. And we're not getting it in until 2019, but I'm already like trying to keep my eyes out for advanced capitalism. <laughs> but <laughs> so this is really interesting because she talks, the article talks a little bit about what the her nonfiction book is going to be about. And these are things like, I guess I never really investigated her life and her past because, you know, I'm just mostly interested in her books. Um, but she actually went through a lot. And so this book, it sounds like it's going to cover a time in her life when she suffered from paralysis and it was caused from, it was the result of scoliosis. So she was in a hospital and she had all of these strange experiences in the hospital and she really had to evaluate what was going on with her and her life. And It says here that what she discovers during her confinement would prove to be the key to her life as a successful science fiction author. So that's really fascinating. Like, I'm really curious about this experience she had. And I'm always curious about the internal workings of somebody as genius as Nettie Okorfor and so prolific as well. So I am thrilled about this news. I did not expect it at all. I I guess I never really even imagined her writing a nonfiction book, but I'm very much into these right now. So it appeals to me personally and just getting into the mind of like a really amazing science fiction author is really exciting to me. Are you into Uh, it? I agree with (laughs) everything. I I have nothing to add. I agree with everything you just said. (laughs) (laughs) So it's awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. And again, if you want to keep your eye out for it, it's going to be, it looks like it's going to hit shelves June 2019. So not until next summer, but we'll find some other people in the gaps. (laughs) (laughs) We will. Um, let's see. I think we have time for one more quick one. Um, oh, here's a follow-up from a previous thing that we talked about. So Twilight Zone, we've talked about how it is getting a reboot. And um, it is headed by Jordan Peele. Um, and there is a trailer that came out oh, maybe a week or two ago. It's been on the agenda for a minute. Um, but the trailer really just made me want to go rewatch the original. <laughs> like it, it doesn't yes. really uh, clue you into anything new. It just sort of is like a little bit of like a highlights reel for the original Twilight Zone. And so watching it, I was just like, oh, do I have time for a Twilight Zone marathon? <laughs> like that's what happened to me watching um, this. Like there's like a little blip or two of the present day stuff, but really not much, which is actually kind of fine by me. Like 
I would prefer, I think I will prefer to know as little as possible going into the reboot um, because it's always nice to be surprised, you know, especially by something like this um, that yes. is supposed to be sort of uncanny and surprising. So I, w- I was very fine, but like there is a trailer, we'll link to it, doesn't show you anything new, but if you're a Twilight Zone fan, it does have some of the best moments of the most iconic episodes in it. And that, that was a fun little trip down memory lane. I agree. I felt I got the I got the goose. Yeah. So it was I don't think I have time for a Twilight Zone watching, but maybe Thanksgiving, like the tradition of sitting around stuffing myself. Ooh, that's a good one. Twilight Zone. That's a tradition. I like that tradition. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. All right. I guess we should talk about novellas. Oh, but first I will tell you about our next sponsor. That's right. Which is... Where did my tab go? Here it is. Uh, this Asbot is sponsored by Writer's Digest, um, and it is for the science. It's for science in fiction. It's putting the science in fiction. Um, collects articles from science and sci-fi, fact and fantasy. Dan Cobalt's popular blog series, Science and Sci-Fi, for authors and fans of speculative fiction. Each article discusses an element of sci-fi or fantasy with an expert in that field. Scientists, engineers, medical professionals, and others share their insights in order to debunk the myths, correct the misconceptions, and offer advice on getting the details right. Um, That's a great hook for an anthology. I love when it's like the real science behind, you know, X fantastical or science fictional property. Um, And there are 40 contributors to the anthology, um, ranging from scientific to technological to medical expertise. they're scientists and engineers and physicians and lab managers and nurses, and they all have one thing in common, which is that they love science fiction. Uh, so their articles reference a lot of popular books and movies that illustrate how to or how not to put the science in fiction um, with the goal of helping authors create realistic, compelling stories. And there's a foreword by Chuck Wendig. Um, some of the sections include research labs, hospitals, and really bad ways to die. <laughs> That's that's great. Uh, <laughs> genome engineering, it never ends well. That's <laughs> good. Uh, things to know for when Skynet takes over Earth and other planets. Yeah, that's really great. Um, so, yeah, if you are a fan of knowing what the real science behind the sci-fi is, or if you are an aspiring writer who wants to know how to get details like these right, um, all of those things, you should definitely give this a look. So, again, that's putting the science in fiction. And thank you again to Writer's Digest for sponsoring the show. Okay, let's see. Let's talk about novellas. Um, I'm going to talk about my sci-fi novella first, which is one I actually was shocked to find I hadn't already talked about on the show because I've loved it for so long and there's new books in the series. And like, I, I was like, surely I must have already talked about this. But the answer is no. Um, so here we go. It's On a Red Station Drifting by Elliot de Bedard, who I think we have talked about her books before. Yeah, um, we have. She's wonderful. I love of her work. Um, She is a Vietnamese-French author, and she has done a really bang-up job in her novels of making these really interesting sort of melded 
slightly, you know, wonky versions of our world. Um, and this is like her hard sci-fi. Uh, the, this first one, there are, it is a series, um, and they're all great, but this first one takes place on a space station that has, um, is controlled by an artificial intelligence that like literally was given birth to by a woman. Um, they are, you know, born of like a human womb, um, but they're but they are an artificial intelligence that then is like implanted into a ship, basically. Um, so Prosper Station uh, has its, you know, mind, um, and it's referred to as the Honored Ancestress, and it is part of a much broader, um, you know, empire called the Diviet Empire, and there is a war on, um, and so a lot of the stations like Best and Bright have been called away to defend the empire and there are a ton of refugees arriving in the other from the other direction um so you know brain drain out refugees in and the station is old um and 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 they don't have enough resources really to deal with the influx of all of these new people and some of the new people are maybe political refugees who are sort of traveling incognito i'm not calling out anyone in particular here um <laughs> But yeah, so there's a lot of upheaval happening and the station mistress, Chuyen, um, is really struggling to keep things together. She doesn't feel like she's up to the task, but she also doesn't feel like she can ask for help. So she's fronting really hard. Um, like everything's fine. Everything is not fine. Everything is falling apart around her. Um, and so there are just all of these different threads. And this is a book that I didn't even realize, like not that I was paying that much attention, but especially on on ebooks, you kind of lose track of how long a thing is. And I had no idea this was a no novella until much later because it felt like such a full story and such great world building. I was totally just sucked in. And it has a little bit of a mystery feel to it. There's a like a little touch of whodunit. And that touch gets stronger as the series goes along. Um, so it's just it's just awesome. I mean it's it's like, you know, take like pre-colonial Vietnam, put it in outer space, add artificial intelligence, and then this little bit of a mystery and like that's what you've got. You've got on a red station drifting and the other books in the universe of the Shuya. And it's just so enrapturing. I love it. I love it so much. Um, and she publishes these herself, um, which oh, wow. I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure they're self-published. And there's a whole section on her website that's sort of like she gives you a peek into uh, her, you know, how she created the world and the history of the Diviet Empire. And uh, it's just it's just great. Um, she's also written a bunch of short stories set in this universe that I've come across in other collections. And it's uh, it's like it's like running into an old friend that you're not expecting to see. It's like, <laughs> oh, look, here's one. I'm so excited to see you again you know universe of the shuya like awesome so yeah so again that's on a red station drifting by aliette de bedard i was just talking about nettie akorfor being really prolific but mm -hmm. aliette de bedard is like super prolific as well she has so many books she has she's written so many books oh and i should shout her out she came on an episode of get booked a while back and did some sci-fi fantasy recommendations for us so i'll drop a link to that in the show notes she was great she was. I was on that show. That's so. right. You were on it too. <laughs> it was such a. It was such a treat. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, so my science fiction pick, both of my reads were new, which was very exciting. <clears throat> and it was nice to get through them very quickly. <laughs> because it's a rare <laughs> occasion for me. So my science fiction pick is Prime Meridian by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. And I really had no idea what to expect going into this book. Like, I literally saw it listed. I think I was doing, like, the daily deals. And I actually posted the book on my Instagram after I was, like, you know, doing Muppet Arms about how much I loved it. And uh, Rincey actually was like, oh, I saw it in daily deals and I picked it up. I'm so excited to read it. And it was because I was looking at it and I was like, wow, this looks really interesting. I can't believe I've never heard of it. So I saw that it was something about a woman going to Mars. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'd read that. So I did. And I ended up loving this book so much. And I read it in one go. And it was one of those situations where I really wish that there was just more of it so I could keep going with this story and with this character. So what it is actually about is it's about a woman and it is about Mars, but I misread it a bit initially. It's about a woman who wants to go to Mars. And the book is set in a near future world where civilization looks mostly familiar, but there are some obvious advances and then also there are some really obvious setbacks especially in terms of resources and the book is set in Mexico City so it's following Amelia who's this 20-something woman she had all the prospects she had a really great future lined up but then her life went off course during college when her mom got sick so Amelia had all of these dreams about who she was going to be and what she was going to do with her life. And because she's really smart and capable, she had every reason to believe she would accomplish those things. And her mother supported her, and she had everything going for her. And so her big dream was to go to Mars, which is in this near future being colonized. So it's in the process of being colonized, and the government is hiring workers of all sorts to head up there. And there are two tracks you can take to get there, and one is way worse than the other. I won't detail it because it's part of the story. Um, But in any case, because of life, she can't get there at all. And so we meet her mid-spiral when she's sort of given up on, on her dreams. And she's living with her sister, and they have this really strained relationship where her sister treats her like childcare service. And gets on her case all the time about her unstable financial situation. Like, I feel like anybody who's been through their (laughs) 20s will 100% relate to this. Her experiences, especially if you were like, I have no idea what to do with the rest of my life. And I have no real job qualifications. I went to college, but what does that mean? Um, So she works as a companion through this weird app that I honestly could see becoming an actual thing in our reality. Like, I'm surprised it doesn't already exist. (laughs) So she basically gets paid to sit around and listen to people talk and basically be like a quote unquote friend. But she's not great at her job (laughs) and she's generally bitter and defeated But I really loved Amelia. Like, this character spoke to me on so many levels. She's basically like Daria if Daria got the rug pulled out from under her and, you know, was living in kind of squalor and miserable and had to socialize with people for work, which sounds miserable. 
And the narration of her thoughts were my favorite parts of the book because she's like, you know, F this, F that throughout the story. And you get to hear all of her perspective. It's fantastic. And then just when things couldn't get any worse, someone from her past comes back into the picture, bringing with him all of these reminders about everything she lost. And there's this sort of push and pull situation happening and a kind of will she, won't she element that was really compelling. And the way it all came together, like all of these pieces of the puzzle and Amelia's sense of self and what you start to learn about her and her dreams and her values, it was all just so satisfying. Like it was one of those endings where I was just, I put it down and I was like, even though I really want more of this story, I felt really satisfied. And yeah, this was just, it was one of those reading experiences that I was like, if not for a random whim, just randomly seeing this online, I would never have read this book. And that would have been really sad because the book isn't from a big publishing house. And it's funny because, you know, Tor does not dominate the novella space, like we were saying, but it really is worth worth it to look around at other publishers as well, because I think you're likely to find some great indie publishers with novellas in their catalogs. And Prime Meridian is from Innsmouth Free Press, which is a micro press mm. that Sylvia Moreno Garcia actually runs. So it just felt like a kind of a lucky chance that I ran into this book, and I'm so glad I read it. And again, that was Prime Meridian by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. I love her stuff. She's. Her- I didn't realize she wrote so much. Yeah, Signal to Noise is a book I've recommended a bunch of times before across various podcasts actually (laughs) um and she's got like a mexican vampire series that i haven't read yet but that i'm super interested in um she's great she's great um cool we'll be checking that out uh daria but like yes in a sci-fi terrible job sounds perfect i love it um so my fantasy pick is actually a little bit of steampunky science fantasy it's the black god's drums by p jelly clark and it is from tour.com um but i just read it i just got this one and it's so good oh my gosh i loved it um it is about a teenager in an alternate history new orleans her name is creeper and she is like a ragamuffin street urchin you know living sort of by her wits she's a pickpocket she you know sells information to the right bidder she just kind of does whatever she needs to do to get by um and this is like a 1800s sort of America where the United States, the Civil War has kind of fractured the country and Louisiana is a neutral state. And then there's like the Union and the Confederacy. Um, and so New Orleans is a very hodgepodge mix of all kinds of people and um, politics. And Haiti in this one is a free country and they won uh their own rebellion and uprising um, with some very special, like sort of supernatural weaponry. And one night creeper is doing her thing, creeping around and she overhears a conversation about um, something like being sold from Haiti to people who are like, who she feels should not have whatever this is. Um, 
So she sets off to find the right person to sell the information to. And things just kind of spiral out from there. The other thing that's special about Creeper is that she is sort of... It's an interesting thing how to describe. Like, she's being ridden, as it were, by a god, uh, a goddess, Oya, um, who is an African Orisha of the wind and storms, who, like, talks to her in her head and gives her, like, little moments of power. Um, and who also is, like, you know, sort of trying to get her to do certain things. And Creeper has her own will, but she sort of, like, is occasionally, like, arguing with the goddess that's living inside her head. Um, and this is part of the thing as well there are these portents and omens and there's a there's a dirigible you know airship captain and there's some really creepy nuns and there's like big actiony battle sequences and i just thought that this was amazing it is so much fun it's a world that i am dying to hear more about although and I said this when I reviewed this in Swords and Spaceships. I've read P. Jelly Clark's work before, and he has such a broad ranging imagination. He wrote a story, I can't remember if I talked about it on this show or not, called A Dead Jinn in Cairo that I think is just fantastic. Um, and he has had stories in other anthologies that I have loved. And he's just, he's rapidly becoming one of my favorite short fiction authors. Like he's really, really good at, at creating in really small spaces these huge feeling worlds, like these worlds that are just incredibly complex. And you get, even though like he doesn't have time to info dump, you don't get to see a ton of different things, but somehow he conveys the breadth and depth of this world in this tiny amount of space. Um, it's a real gift. Not everybody can do it, but he definitely can. And so, yeah, I'm super into this book in particular and, uh, and everything else I've read by him. And I'm, I'm, I got my eye on him, like whatever comes <laughs> next, like I'm ready. <laughs> I'm so ready. Um, so again, that's The Black God's Drums by P. Jelly Clark. I have to get this book again. It expired on my library holds list, and I was sad oh. because I didn't get a chance to. Do you want me to send you my it. physical one? And then oh, it won't expire? So nice. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. If you're not using it, I will totally take it. Oh, okay. the creepy nuns really scare me, so no, I might have to like. They're not scary. They're just like okay. I, I guess uncanny is the correct word. Okay, yeah. I can handle it. You'll uncanny. be fine if I can handle it. You will be fine. <laughs> That's true. Okay, I believe you. Yeah. I don't think you would set out to. Make I me would have not. I would not do that to you. Okay, so my fantasy pick actually probably shares some similar traits in that it's a huge, like, I can't believe this is a novella because it's just, the world building is epic. Um, and it's A Taste of Honey by Kaya Shanti Wilson. And this is indeed a tour novella. And it strikes me as kind of an experimental high fantasy work. Like, it has tr elements of traditional high fantasy that were really familiar to me because I read a lot of high fantasy in high school. Um, and then, like, the world building and the throwback settings, like these archaic settings. But then there are also some elements, particularly of speech, 
uh, that take the book outside of familiar territory, and I just really loved it. So the story follows Akib, who's a royal cousin, and he's son of the Master of Beasts, and any character that gets along with animals is fine by me. <laughs> uh, and Akib lives this sort of lifestyle of a very important person. He knows his place in this rigid society. Like, it would be great to be a very important person in this society, but this society is also bunk, so maybe you wouldn't want to live there at all. But he knows his duties to his family and to himself as a person of a certain social standing. But then this stranger arrives in town. I've got lots of strangers arriving in town in my novellas today. A stranger arrives in town. It's this delusive soldier named Lucrio. And Lucrio is different than anybody Akib's met in his life. He hails from another land. He speaks in a very different way. And he looks at Akib the way no other man has looked at him. And Akib likes Lucrio's attention, but the problem is he doesn't live in a world where it's okay for one man to love another man. And he's constantly reminded of this. But the feelings he and Lucrio share aren't anything he can turn away from easily. He feels a lot of passion. There's tons of chemistry between them. So he decides to take some risks. And the rest of the story is about how uh, how Akib's choices and also the prejudices and homophobia of his society affect the course of his life. And the structure of the story itself is really interesting. Like, it jumps around a lot in time. So you're following the story during the, I think it was 11 days Lucrio is in his home empire, in Akib's empire, uh, which is dominated by actual gods, by the way. And then you also follow the story after. So there are moments, especially in the beginning, where you're like, how did how did he get from point A to point B? But there are also like, you know, section markers that help you along. But I found that really interesting because while you understand what's happening and why it's happening here and there, you don't really get the full backstory until you get closer to the end. And it kind of, for me at least, it added a lot of gravity and emotion and momentum to this story about Akib's life and the situation and this romance that's happening. And this is definitely a star-crossed lover's story. It's, you know, about a, it's a romance about a love that's viewed as taboo in this setting. It definitely gave me some of those Romeo and Juliet feels, except the lovers aren't torn by two houses divided, you know, but by outright homophobia, which is really, it was not an easy read. Um, and while the setting is archaic, the themes feel really timely and you know, some of the dialogue choices, like I was saying, are also not archaic. And Kai Shanti Wilson actually wrote a piece for tour called The POC Guide to Writing Dialect in mm-hmm. Fiction, which is actually a really good read. I'll, I'll remember to put that in the show notes. Um, so again, while the overall feel of the story took me back to my high school days of exclusive re- ex- exclusively reading high fantasy, um, there were other narrative and dialogue choices that made this story feel really fresh and really different and that I really enjoyed. But again, the story is pretty dark. So even though it's a short read, I would ne- I would not call it light reading. There is actually a pretty gruesome scene that kind of connects to the title. And of course, reading about sexual oppression at this level where a person is hated and risks punishment of death for loving who they love is not an easy thing to read. But there's also this really passionate romance, there's true love, there's this incredibly lush setting, 
And it's all in this really rich, compact story. I just totally enjoyed A Taste of Honey. It was completely taken away by the storytelling. And I felt like I was reading something completely original. And I really love it when an author subverts conventional tropes and does it well. And this is definitely the case here. So again, that was A Taste of Honey by Kai Ashanti Wilson. I love that one. Oh, I love oh, it good. so much. It's my favorite that thing that he's written that I've read. Um, I've been I've been watching him as well. I've been reading his stuff, and yeah, he is amazing. And that one is my favorite. Oh, it, it gave me so many feelings. It did. Uh, it's so oh. just like the most feelings. The most feelings. That's the good. That's a good way to phrase it. Yeah. All right, and that concludes today's episode. Um, thank you all so much for listening. You can email us at sffia at bookriot.com. If you've got some other hot tips for where to find good novellas, we would love to hear those and to share them with fellow listeners. Uh, you can review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other folks to find the show, and we love to see the feedback. And you can find me online on Twitter and Tumblr. It's Jen IRL, and that's Jen with two N's, IRL. And you can find me on Instagram. I'm at S Williams. That's S Z A I N A B Williams. And we'll talk to you next time. <laughs>